0: If I were to ask you, probably more men than women, but anybody, if I were to ask you if you remember the best steak you've ever had, does something come to mind? Okay, just out of curiosity, if you think of a restaurant or a, or a, or a cookout or a person that, that has cooked you an, an amazing steak and you just you fondly remember, oh, man, this steak right here was amazing. Just raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to talk about this just for a minute. I'm the middle of three boys. Many of you know that. Stephen is my younger brother. Shannon is my older brother. And we grew up in Smyrna, Georgia. Our father was a minister. Our mother was a third grade teacher. But she was originally raised in Moultrie, Georgia. Many of you know where Moultrie is, not too far from here. A farming community. So mom was a farm girl. So we were raised on vegetables, on green beans and collard greens and black-eyed peas, and rutabaggers. Do y'all know? What, most of you know what rutabaggers are. Do y'all, do y'all know what pot liquor is? Yeah? From collard greens. And we even had that. How about, how about cornbread and buttermilk? Any of you ever do the cornbread and buttermilk thing? Okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, you're talking my language now. My dad used to do that. I, I could handle it. It's not something I craved, but I could eat it growing up. So we learned to eat all this farm food. We had plenty of chicken and a lot of ground beef, not so much steak. My memories of steak growing up were the mass-produced pieces they put on the school plate that you have to saw through. They're dry, not much taste. On a special occasion, and I mean a special occasion growing up, we we were not high-income family. We, We got to go to Ryan's Steakhouse after church on Sunday And enjoy the big buffet they had there and that was a big deal and once in a while we'd get a piece of steak there it wasn't bad but nothing to get too excited about so what what i learned about steak growing up is when people bragged about steak i was like i guess what they mean is they just put extra a1 sauce on it or hans 57 just to drown out whatever would have been the taste you enjoy it that way it's all about the sauce right i came here on staff in 1999 for the next decade, I would oversee the media ministry. And at the age of 28, there was one day, and I'm trying to remember what the occasion was, we had to go up through Atlanta as a staff. I had heard Michael talk about one of his favorite meals at a place called Houston's Steakhouse, okay? Now, whenever he would describe the experience of this steak at Houston Steakhouse— I kind of rifled through my experiences of having a steak and I was like, well, he talks about this Hawaiian ribeye, right? So maybe that's just the steak, extra sauce on it, maybe some Hawaiian sauce, and then there's a pineapple with a toothpick you just stick in the top of it, you know? Most of my information about what a good steak was was academic. I could tell you what the steak was, where it's from, even what part of the cow. But Michael was just bragging about this amazing steak. And on, and on a rare occasion as a staff, we would get to do something like this. We had time, so he said, we're gonna stop by Houston Steakhouse, one of our favorite places. Of course, I was like, okay. So we get to Houston, and so when we go in, I immediately recognize this is not the kind of restaurant I'm accustomed to. When you come in and they greet you and they've got these nice pressed white shirts, starts to perfection, black tie, black apron around you, and they welcome you and they treat you a little bit like you're very important, right? So it's not like, how y'all doing? Come on over here, hon, have a seat. That's not that. (laughs) It's not that. It's, hello, sir, how are you doing today? Would you like a seat right over here? What can I get you to drink? You know... It's no sugar, no hun, no any of that stuff. (laughs) So I'm sitting there, and Michael says, Alex, I want you to get the Hawaiian ribeye cooked medium combination dressing on a house salad with a loaded baked potato. That's what you're going to order. Okay. (laughs) So we did. We pray when the salad gets there, and we're sitting around this larger round table. This had to be 99, maybe early 2000. So we're sitting around the table. The the salad comes out first. Now, I'm I'm not a big salad guy. I appreciate a good salad. But when the salad got there, the greens are all fresh, right? Everything is nice and crisp. All the little things they put on the top, all the little carrots and egg pieces and croutons, everything is really nice. And then sprinkled with freshly cooked bacon, bacon bits. Then this dressing that they drizzled all over it is somehow a combination of honey mustard and the drool of a few baby angels, because it was amazing, (laughs) they put it all over this salad and i remember eating this thing going this is a good salad it's a really good salad and so i finished the salad, and i was thinking it was worth coming here just for that then they show up with the steak they put the steak down in front of me and the first thing that hit me was the smell of it i was like what is this right it's almost still sizzling on the plate it's got this nice glaze over it pretty thick you could tell it was juicy and tender So we sit there and Michael says, all right, guys, dig in. When I got my knife and I started to cut through it, I noticed I didn't have to saw. (laughs) I was accustomed to sawing and it just kind of glided through the steak, right? You know what I'm talking about. It glides through the steak and I'm like, wow, the juices start to come out of the steak and I get the fork and I put it in my mouth. What? What? This can't be right. Steaks don't taste this good. I cut the second piece. It was just as good as the first piece. I look at Michael, he starts laughing at me. Like, <laughs> you tell me I've been alive almost three decades and I've, I've never experienced this. In that moment, my my information about steak went to revelation. I had encountered an excellent steak, and I became a convert. Michael knows this steak and makes it known to me and the staff. Now, I will admit to you, every time I go through Atlanta now, if I have time and I can do it, I take someone to Houston State because I've taken my wife. I've taken my, my older kids, my son. Younger kids, don't, they, they don't appreciate it yet. They don't, they don't appreciate it. It's too expensive for them to appreciate that. you got to wait for them to mature a little bit. Men, you know what I'm talking about. Little kid says, oh, this, uh, I don't know. can I just have a piece of chicken? Oh, man. Anyway, my son loves it now, right? I've taken my father-in-law. He had the same reaction. So some of my friends I've taken there. What happened to me? Michael knew about it and made it known. I then experienced it. My eyes are opened to what a steak can be. Now you're thinking, Alex, you must not get around too much when it comes to, you're almost 30 years old, that's the first really good steak you've had? Well, okay, I'm going to admit to you, now I consider myself a steak aficionado, right? I've been to Ruth's Chris and Jay Alexander's and some of these other places and gotten good steaks. But I remember that day, I remember the first bite of that steak and i've had it dozens of times since then it is still etched in my mind so what happened to me i went from academic to an encounter went from information to revelation my father-in-law for years took his wife faye she is now with the lord but took his wife faye on cruises now growing up we weren't cruise people I'd hear about this boat, right? You get on this big boat and you go out in the middle of nowhere, somewhere out in the ocean, and you're in a small cabin and you eat all this food and all these people go through like a trough and you feed them all and whatever. And I'd seen a couple of episodes of the love boat, right? You know, so what do you do? You stare at the water and in the evenings you go along the rail and you talk about your feelings. Not interested. Have any of you been on a cruise? So I just, it's not something I ever really wanted to do. I had academic, I know what a boat is. I know what water is. I know what food is and a buffet on the boat. Academic, academic, academic. Until I went on one, right? Christine and I went on a cruise for our 15th anniversary. Almost 10 years ago. I remember first, this boat is huge. It's like a floating city. You get on the boat, and you're walking around, and you're thinking, this is crazy. There, there's an indoor skating rink on the boat, right? You, we, we did ping pong and shuffleboard and all this stuff on the boat, and then you have the, the food was really good, and the sunsets when you got out there were unbelievable, Though the water, guys, I didn't know water was that blue way out in the ocean. I'm used to seeing it on the beach where it's a tinted green or brown and way out in the ocean. I mean columbus sailed the deep blue sea it, it's deep and it's blue royal blue and i remember sitting on the on the ledge looking over and i'd see flying fish i'd never seen flying fish before and they come up and they go Shh, and they flap for a few seconds and they go right down in the water and come up flap. and i was like this is unbelievable and you get to these tropical islands we snorkeled in saint john's and saint thomas they're beautiful i now know why people like to go on those things it's gorgeous it's relaxing. I went from information to revelation. I experienced it. I encountered it myself. Same thing when I went to Israel. If you haven't been to Israel, you've read about it. But when you go, the Bible becomes 3D. You stand there where David fought Goliath, and you think, I'm reading this, and I'm standing where it happened. You stand on Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven. You stand where it happened while you read it. You, you look at the empty tomb or see Golgotha, and it's etched in your heart and in your mind. It's no longer academic. You have an encounter. With that in mind, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. You're familiar with this story with the woman at the well. We're going to read it. Let me give you just a, a bit of background. Some of you already know this. If you don't, I'm going I'm to give you a little bit of background for this story. Israel, under King Saul, then King David, then Solomon, was one nation, the largest part of it. After Solomon, it became divided across the middle. They went into a civil war. It came straight across the middle. The north half of Israel was still called Israel. Its capital was Samaria. The southern half was called Judah. Its capital was Jerusalem. Assyria ended up coming in and taking over the northern half. They did not worship the God of the Jews. They brought their gods, killed a lot of the Jews up there, deported others, and intermarried others. So after a while, this land that they ended up calling Samaria, this big chunk, was right in the middle of what is today Israel. So if you were in the south of Judah and you wanted to go up to the very northern part, you would go around Samaria up to the Galilee area. Still had Jews there. you come around Samaria to the lower part, Judah. So the Samaritans were considered half-breeds to the Jews in Judah. Dogs, polluted Jews. They didn't want anything to do with them. The Samaritans' faith was now a mixture of what the Jews used to believe and what the Assyrians believed. It was all mixed in there. This polluted faith irritated Judah. And so the Jews would stay away from this new race of people, this amalgam of other races. The only thing to do with them, you're not pure anymore. You're half-breed, you're dogs. So keep that in mind. In addition to that, women were seen as far beneath men in both the Samaritan and Jewish culture. You know when you're reading scripture and it says, and there were 5,000 men and women and children? They didn't even bother to count the women and children. They just counted the men. Oh, and this over here, there's 2,000 men, and there were women and children. Almost like they don't count. A woman could not divorce her husband in Jewish or Samaritan culture, but the husband could divorce the wife. And he could do so if she became unfavorable in his eyes what in the world kind of logic is that unfavorable no wonder divorce was rampant for a season and Jesus had to speak out against it so a woman Samaritan already had two strikes against her Jesus at this point in our story wants to go from Judah up to Galilee instead of going around Samaria he and the disciples start going through Samaria the disciples aren't too excited about this we don't want to hang out with these people. Why are we going through Samaria? Jesus says we're going through Samaria to Galilee and he stops at Jacob's well. Yes, yes, the Jacob from the Old Testament is still there. Jacob's well, see Samaria didn't have a lot of rivers going through it and didn't have a lot of streams. So wells were extremely crucial and either early in the morning or late in the day, the women would come out, drop their bucket or their skin with ropes around it down into the water pull up the water, fill up their big jars, put it on their head, and carry it back to their encampment or their city. Jacob's well is where Jesus was heading. So he's halfway through Samaria. He stops at Jacob's well, and we're going to read the story at this point. So John 4, they're going to go from 1 to 30. We're going to pause, and then we're going to skip to the end of that chapter. So John four, verse one, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sicar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph and J- Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let me say something about this right here. Roman time, it was, you you would think this is six o'clock, but Jewish time, this is noon. So keep that in mind. On the Jewish time, this is noon. Verse seven, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you... Being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She gets a little snarky here. Verse 11, she said to him, Sir, you you have nothing to draw. uh, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank, it, drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I'll not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw and you get the sense here that she's still not fully involved with him. She is, she's, a little, she's got her guard up a little bit. She's a little snarky with him. So wouldn't you say that? Oh, you got something that's like I never have to draw water again? Yeah, I'll take that. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Verse 16. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, "'You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly.' The woman said to her, "'Sir, I I perceive that you are a prophet. Our Father is worshipped in this mountain, and you people,' meaning the Jews, "'say that in Jerusalem it's the right place where men ought to worship.'" Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Remember that. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So what what does the father want he wants people to worship him in spirit and truth those two always go together verse 24 god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth he says it twice the woman said to him i know that messiah is coming he was called christ when that one comes he will declare all things to us and jesus said to her i who speak to you am he at this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot. Remember that, too. She leaves her water pot. She goes into the city, and she says to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things I've ever done. Is this not the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Now, skip down with me to verse 39, and we're going to finish this story. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. He stayed there two days, a place they didn't want anything to do with. But Jesus knew what he was doing. Isn't that interesting? He stays there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. The God you know is the God you will make known. I know it seems crude to say this, but the stake that Michael knew is the one he made known. Then I learned of it, and I tried it, and now it's the one I make known. Matter of fact, Houston should pay me for the endorsement I just gave them in this sermon. I'm kidding, but you see what I'm saying. I let people know how amazing Israel was to me. People should go if you can. This woman knew about a God, she had some academic knowledge of God. But how did that play out in her life? Do we know that she was satisfied? But then she encounters the living God, and she is changed, and she makes it known to everyone who will listen. She takes of this living water by putting her faith in the Messiah. And then it begins to impact where she lives. They come out and they see themselves. The God she now knows is the God she makes known. So what do we know about this woman? She was seen as a worthless half-breed by the Jews. Being a woman, she was considered beneath men. She had been tossed around and rejected by men numerous times. And guys, listen to this. Men could reject their wife and divorce her. She could not reject a husband. If she has an affair on her husband, she's stoned to death in both cultures, the Jewish culture and the Samaritan culture. Which means, follow me here, she had been married and rejected five times. Married, thrown away. Married, thrown away. Married, thrown away. Married, thrown away. away married and this sixth man hasn't even married her in that culture women needed a man for provision for protection for support who will take me some people think was she a prostitute not necessarily she needed a man for support she can't divorce a man which means she was left by the man or divorced five times think about what that feels like You were abandoned over and over and over and over and over. And Jews won't have anything to do with you. It's also interesting the time of day she shows up at the well. It's likely, and you'll agree with me, that her reputation even among her own people was not good. So when women go early in the morning to get their water or late in the day in the cool of the day, when does she go? Noon. The hottest part of the day, to carry water. Why? Because nobody goes at noon. So she goes. Calloused, hurt, abandoned, rejected. And there's a man there. It's obvious that he's a Jew. He's not going to talk to me, I'm not going to talk to him. But then he initiates conversation. And it stuns her. Why why, are you talking to me? Then he starts talking about extraordinary things. This is just regular water. I'm asking for a drink, but in return, I can give you living water. And what stuns me about this passage is if you reflect on every time someone asked Jesus if he was the Son of God, if he was the Messiah, He would respond by saying, you say that I am. Or he would ask Peter, who do you say that I am? But to this woman, he directly reveals that he is the Messiah. Point blank, the one you're talking to, I am the Messiah. Who does he reveal this to? The least of the least, the abandoned of the abandoned. That's what kind of God he is. So my question is this. If you think about it, was Jesus after just her water or was he after her worship? Is he after just what you've got or is he after your worship? This woman abandoned over and over has her guard up and she's even a little sarcastic and snarky with Jesus. You're not greater than Jacob, are you? What are you doing talking to me? And it's interesting jesus doesn't argue with her he could and he sees that she has information about her history she knows who the well belonged to she knows that a messiah is coming one day but again she's not encountered this god it's why he said you don't know who you're worshiping what did jesus do he crossed racial and cultural lines to initiate contact with her. Think about that. Racial and cultural lines to initiate reaching out to this woman who was the least of the least, rejected. He refused to argue over fruitless points of debate. Isn't that refreshing? He refuses to argue over whose well it is or where where, you're going to worship here, you're going to worship on Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans worship, you're going to worship in Jerusalem where the Judeans, the Jews worship. Where's the right place? Let's talk about that. Jesus, no, that's not what we're going to talk about. He doesn't engage in debate. He offers her living water, which is eternal life. He directly reveals himself as the Messiah, and he supernaturally shares his knowledge of her life. One of the ways I know that I know the Lord is not just academically, I've been to seminary, I'm ordained, I I, I regularly read the Bible, but it's, it's my encounters with God. When the Holy Spirit speaks to me, when he stirs me up, sometimes to encourage me, sometimes to convict me, sometimes to reassure me, I'm here with you. And I'm not talking about just an emotional experience, though sometimes emotions come with it. I'm talking about my academic view of God. The truth that I know is coupled with the spirit of me encountering God. People ask me about the movies a lot. I remember the day Christina and I were visiting the Cove in North Carolina where Billy Graham Center is. And I remember praying a lot, seeking the Lord during that time. Both of us were. This was uh, early 2006. We had finished shooting facing the Giants. Downstairs in the cove is this long corridor, and you have these large pictures of all these mass stadiums where Billy Graham taught in. Now, all of you have likely heard Billy Graham. Although an excellent teacher and very articulate in his preaching, his sermons tend to be fairly basic. I've heard them a number of times. I've seen him... In person at the Georgia Dome years ago and I'm standing in the hallway and I'm looking at all these pictures of these stadiums packed with people and when he does the invitation hordes of people come and I'm thinking what what really what is so special about Billy Graham he doesn't sing he doesn't act he does isn't he doesn't do much else other than preach and his sermons are fairly basic so God why do you allow this farm boy to have so much fruit and I'm standing here looking at these picture after picture after It's just Christina and I she's a little bit further down the hall and this is one of the times totally unexpected I did not expect it for God to have an encounter with me and I'm standing looking at these pictures and I'm thinking Lord why it's not that I'm mad about it I'm not I'm just wondering why this man this simple man has so much fruit and the Lord speaks to my heart some of you've heard me give this testimony before but he basically says Alex do you want a harder road with more fruit or an easier road with less fruit And I just remember being stunned standing there thinking whoa whoa did did the Lord just ask me a question it was very clear. I didn't hear an audible voice, but as I stood there, it's like the Lord. It was just, just very specific and very clear to me. And I remember asking my wife, Christina, well, "How would I answer this question?" It's an unnerving question because if you say, "I want more fruit," well, what does the harder road even mean? What does that mean? See, so you, you, you're like me. Oh, man, I'd love to make a big impact. I'd love gobs of fruit that God gives me. But is there any way I could take the easier road to do that? No. All the people that were impactful in Scripture, that all the people that we read about, they had massive fruit and a hard road. But they did it because God was with them. And the people that endured their faith was not just academic. They encountered God. Jesus said, you worship what you do not know, but true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Your faith cannot just be academic. God wants you to know him and to encounter him. Some of my favorite verses that have just imprinted on my heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Emphasis on all your heart. It can't be a by-the-way faith. James 4 8 draw near to God and he will draw near to you draw near to God and he will draw near to you Hebrews eleven six, 6 one of my favorites it says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him now I'm going to admit something to you there are seasons in my life I seek God a lot more heavily than other times Every time we go into a film, I spend a lot of time in prayer because I don't want to spend a year and a half of my life doing something that's fruitless. That would drive me crazy, which means, and the older I get, the more I realize my need for God. Little by I'm 47 right at the moment, but little by little, I'm losing my youth. And I'm aware when I play ball with my kids, I told my legs to do something, they're not doing it. I'm very aware my time is limited. But God says, I want to know you. I want you to encounter me. I want to use you for my glory. I want to meet with you. Yes, I want you to study the word, to know it. I want you in church. I want you in Sunday school. But don't just make it academic. Don't just say, Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've heard that. Oh, I've heard this story. I've heard sermons on this story. We want you to encounter the living God. We want you to have your own well experience. So many times before we do a movie, I seek God a lot. I'm going to admit it to you. You can say, that sounds really selfish that you would do it more heavily before a movie. I'm being honest with you, I do. I seek Him like crazy. I pray in my car. I pray with my brothers in the mornings. I ask God for wisdom, discernment, direction, protection, all of those things. And he shows up. He loves to be sought. For the last week and a half, I've sought him even for this morning. God, please don't let me say something stupid. Would you help me, Lord? Would you speak through me, Lord? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the God you know is the God you make known. And when we read Moses... He encountered God and was changed. So was Joshua before going into battle. Elijah, Gideon, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Paul. Countless people that Jesus touched their life. They had an encounter with the Lord. And again, don't hear me say, he's just wanting me to have some emotional experience. That's the icing on the cake. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about when you meet with God and you know he's speaking to you and you are truly worshiping him and not just academically. The woman at the well believed there was a God, but her life was a fractured view of God. Her small view of God affected her worship and life, and she was dissatisfied and trying to find satisfaction in men or her weak religion. Women, I apologize for this, but you will never find total satisfaction in your man. I'm sorry about that, but it's not going to happen. You may have a good man, and you may love him, but he is not the source of of your total fulfillment that is only from the lord you can rely on him for certain things hopefully he provides for you and protects you and loves you but what we imagine in our mind to have the ultimate marriage is not going to happen apart from god regularly injecting himself and and encountering god in your marriage it's not going to happen apart from him. Not going to. And this woman had figured this out, one man after another. As just number four rejects her. Number five rejects her. And now she's with a number six. But Jesus said he was, she was worshiping a God she did not know. Then he reveals that he is the Messiah. He is the one that she needs. Not only can he meet her needs, but he knows her heart. When she encountered the real god she wanted everyone to know and to encounter him too do you tend to act like the woman before she met jesus or after she met jesus what god do you make known and how do you view that god see if you view God through the filter of someone who hurts you, a parental figure, a spouse, a dear friend, relative, if you view God through that wrong filter, you have a fractured view of who he is. But if you say, God, I, I want to know you, I want to know you as you want me to know you. Lord, I don't want it polluted with My sin or someone else's sin. I want to know you. I want to know you just like that woman had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus and put her faith in him. And she didn't do it immediately. If you notice, she almost argued against him, was a little snarky with him. But the encounter became supernatural. Jesus starts revealing things about her he shouldn't know unless he is the one true God. So when the Lord spoke to me that day in the cove, I wrestled with that. Lord, I want great fruit, but when you say harder road, what does that mean? Christina and I knelt in the chapel there after pondering that for a while. Before the end of the trip, we agreed we'd take the harder road not knowing what it meant. A lot of good things have happened since then and a lot of difficulties. I can tell when the enemy is attacking me, my thought life, my frustrations, disheartenment. He attacks Christina the same way and it tends to be around seasons where we're preparing for fruit. Why would he do that? The enemy wants a trophy out of your life. If you call yourself a child of God and that the one true God is who you worship and that his son is your savior, he wants a trophy out of your life. And if he can't make you fall on your face as if to deny the Lord that you worship, he at least wants your walk with God as bland as possible, as just academic. If you're already resolved that God is the truth and the Bible is his word, he at least wants your life to be so dim and polluted, it makes little difference. And then the world can say, what have you got that I should want? Because the God you know is the God you make known. So what, what God do you know? Is your God worth sacrificing for? Is he worth suffering for? Is the God that you believe that you know worth trusting? Is he worth obeying? If the God you know is a forgiving God, should you forgive? If you scan the corridors of your heart and you say, Lord, show me where I'm not making you Lord, where I've got a fractured view of you, he will. He must show you a pain, something that's unresolved, maybe something that the Lord wants out of your life he'll show you holy spirit is amazing at that when i do it he does he comes right in and i think he's not going to notice this over here he does he does it because he loves you he comes in he says alex right here deal with this sometimes i can do it immediately sometimes i grapple with it who is the god you know So we had some fun at the beginning talking about a stake, my first cruise, walking in the Holy Land. They were things I academically knew about, but then I encountered them, and I went from a type of information to revelation. Who is your God? and is he worth making known? Jesus offers you life-giving water. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst because it will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads, I'm gonna ask you would you dare Say, God, go through the corridors of my heart. Scan it. Lord, what do you see? Do you see areas that you are not Lord over? Do you see areas that present a fractured view of who you are to other people? Because God, you are the one true God You are the God I need to make known. And Lord, I need to encounter you. I need to hear from you. I need your forgiveness. I need your healing. Do business with God. Lord, what would you ask of me? Is there something I need to give up to you? Perhaps you say, I've known about God, but I do not truly know God. I'm like that woman at the well. I can tell you facts about religion. I can tell you facts about the Bible. I've been to church many times, I've been to Sunday school many times, but when you talk about that type of encounter, I don't know that I've had that type of encounter. Then I would say, Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Not know about him. Do you know him? Because he says, whoever calls on my name will be saved. Whoever trusts me. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved than jesus christ if you need to settle that let's settle it you can come down here to the front we'll welcome you don't ever think oh i'd be embarrassed if there's one thing this church and the body of christ celebrate it's people coming to the lord trusting christ it is the best decision you will ever make It is embracing the Lord and saying, I trust you. If you feel like you're that woman at the well, in some regard, you've been rejected, you've been hurt, and now you're viewing the Lord through this fractured experience, that's not God. Like Jesus, he comes forward, he says, I'm offering you forgiveness, I'm offering you redemption, I'm offering you love, I'm offering you acceptance. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. If that's you, come on down. We have ministers waiting for you that want to talk to you. Make it right. Settle it. Make today the day that you knew my faith is not just academic. I'm coming to the Lord saying I want to encounter the living God. If you so will, pray this after me. Lord Jesus, you are the living God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for offering forgiveness to me. Lord, I accept that. Lord, clean me. Wash me from head to toe. Wash my heart. I want to know you, Lord. I want to go deeper in my faith. I want to walk with you daily. Lord, I want to be used by you. Would you forgive me for my sin? And draw me close to yourself. Thank you for loving me. Help me to love you even more. In Jesus' name.